We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NFL Combine is over. Regency is about to get started. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast, breaking down Giants coach all 22 film, giving you the latest and breaking news on the team, and adding insight from myself, Dan Schneier of CBS Sports and 24 7 Sports, and my co host, Nick Turchin of Cover One. How are you doing today, Nick? You ready to dive into this? Doing real good. A little shocked, but doing very good. Yeah, I think we're all a little bit shocked right now that the Giants. Appear, appear, apparently appeared to be a made decision on Landon Collins. And we'll get into all of that today. So let's just dive right into it right now, the Landon Collins decision. To catch anyone up who's not on top of the news, though we do assume most people listening to this podcast already know this, the Giants informed Landon Collins today that they would not be using the franchise tag on him prior to Tuesday's deadline. Shortly after that, Collins took to Twitter to thank his teammates and thank the organization for his experience and basically signify that he is moving on from the Giants. That, to me, is no surprise for a number of reasons. For starters, the free agent market is very depressed with top-end talent. A player like Landon Collins, who will hit the market, is going to get paid. He's going to be one of the highest-paid players on the market, certainly the highest-paid player at the safety position. That's just how it goes for a 25-year-old who has a former all-pro season under his belt that should have been Defensive Player of the Year. If you look at the the resumes for, de- for former Defensive Player of the Year from the safety position like Troy Palomalu, Bob Sanders, etc. He also has three Pro Bowls under his belt, Nick. So here we're talking about a 25-year-old. 25-year-old. Obviously, Dave Gettleman and the Giants do not believe in the idea of allocating a large chunk of their future and 2019 salary cap space to the safety position or to Collins or whatever that may be. We do not know. But let me get your initial reaction on this decision, Nick. 
I think it's, like you said, I think it's pretty surprising. I guess there's two different ways you can look at it. Um, either if, I guess the first way to think of it is, well, the chatter has been from some guys on Twitter that the Giants organization didn't think he was as good as coverage in coverage as you'd want someone to be who you're going to pay 11 plus million dollars to, especially in the safety position. Um, if you just assume that's correct for a second, like I disagree with it, but just assume that's correct. Why, if that's the case, when, how many games did Collins play at the end of the year after the trade deadline? Like three or four, right? Max. Yep. I believe three or four, max. four max. Four max. So nothing, I can almost guarantee you nothing changed in those four games in terms exactly. of evaluation. So it means that something happened in the off season, probably having a lot to do with Gettleman reviewing the tape and looking at everything else. And the, the point of me saying all this is if, if that's the case, then the, nothing changed since the trade deadline. So he should have been more aggressively pursued to be offloaded then for assets. And what you're constantly seeing is now a pattern or consistently seeing is a pattern now of unloading assets in ways where they, they're just discarded. And that really hurts an organization, especially when you have a guy like that, like you, just like you said, he's 25 years old. Like, you know, maybe the whole goal of the draft is to get the top 100. And like, so anything you can do to get in the top 100 is huge. The Giants only have two picks in the top 100. That's a big deal. So whether or not you, you agree with the coverage aspect or not, I think that that was my first reaction was like, well, then why did, why wasn't he dealt basically at the deadline? That's yeah, Nick, I think you hit it, the nail on the head with this one, because we share a similar mindset here. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and argue against Gettleman's evaluation of Collins as a player. Obviously, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that both me and Nick are very high on what Collins brings to the team, not only from a leadership standpoint, a, you know, production standpoint, because we obviously don't, man, we're not here to sit here and wonder why he can't cover Tariq Cohen in the flat with no, no one over the top, because I can't find too many safeties who can. But what we believe Landon Collins uh, brings to the field is n- is not in agreement with what Gettleman believes, and that I'm okay with because I don't claim to know have all the answers, and I'm not claiming that he does either, but I'm not going to sit here and judge anyone's evaluation of talent and personnel. That, to me, is left for the general manager, and we're, we as analysts or fans, just that's just the realization. That's the truth of it. But having said that, what you said makes the most sense here. An evaluation of Collins should not have come – after the trade deadline, after the 2018 trade deadline, the Giants had had him for three or four years. They knew their salary cap situation. They knew what it was heading into 2019. They knew what it was moving forward. They know already what kind of player Collins is before even thinking about whether or not he's going to be a part of the future. So like you said, if that's the case, they should have acquired a pick in the top 75. And I believe that was certainly on the table when you look at the fact that HaHa Clinton Dix was moved for a fourth round pick to the Washington Redskins and the Packers. And Collins obviously was going to offer any team a lot more, at least in my opinion, down the stretch of last season than Dix was. Not to mention, Collins was still on a rookie contract as a second round pick versus Dix, who was drafted in the first round. He had minimal cap it for any team who wanted to take him on last year. And then they could have been the ones who could decide to franchise tag him and move on from there or get the compensatory pick back, um, you know, if they they decided not to resign. So there was value there. The Giants, in my opinion, could have certainly gotten a top 75 pick out of Collins. Now everyone wants to talk about, well, it's okay. They're going to end up getting, <coughs> excuse me, a third round or fourth round compensatory pick next offseason. But that's not the case. This is something people don't understand about this, Nick, and I'm trying to, you know, bring some light to it on Twitter because I know that 
you know, there's not that much information about the compensatory NFL draft pick formula. And even I don't have all the answers there. What no, I and, and dude, you made a great highlight because when I read your tweet, you educated me. So please continue. Exactly. Because what people don't understand is the only way the Giants are going to get a third or fourth round compensatory pick back for Collins is if they do next to nothing in free agency, which is certainly not going to be the case because as we know, and we'll get to in a minute, they're going to cut most likely Olivier Vernon and get $8 million in salary cap space back. They're obviously going to have, you know, close to 35, maybe 40 million in cap space when all is said and done with their with their releases and with their contract restructures. So they're going to probably sign at least one or two edge guys and a right tackle. And those signings will cancel out, according to the compensatory draft pick formula, Colin, losing Collins. So eventually the Giants are most likely not going to get anything in return for Collins. And that is a black mark no matter how you look on it and Dave Gettleman's resume. And we're getting to the point, Nick, where I'm starting to worry that is Gettleman's only skill that he brings to this position of general manager, talent evaluation. Because I do believe he has a good eye for talent evaluation, especially for the most important positions, offense and defense line. Obviously, quarterback aside, we can talk about, you know, it's hard to tell where he's at there considering he's never really drafted a quarterback high. But if he is only bringing talent evaluation to the general manager position, then I don't believe that he is going to leave a positive mark on this franchise because there are far too many other factors that go into being a general, a successful general manager at the NFL level. Yeah, I think that that that's a at this point now. You know, we we spent like a season saying, "Hey, you got to wait to evaluate. You got to wait to evaluate." You wait. At this point now, I think you can start asking that question. It's a year in, and there's not like it's the at the end of the regime, but it's like, hey, like why is this happening continuously? And the other side of it too, um, the one last thing I'll add to your point is on the from the scouting perspective. Whenever you draft a guy or you bring a guy into free agency, it's like it's like what's like what's the replaceable factor over your current resume or your current? Well, I'm sorry, um, well, you know your your current roster. So, like the replaceable value that you have for for the hole you just create in your roster, I think for the level of player that you have, you can only really replace with an expensive free agent, but forget the expense part for a second. It actually matters a lot with traits because Collins was such a hybrid and the current free agent market doesn't have that kind of a hybrid. So then you start looking at the, the, about replacing him and potentially in the draft, if that's what you want to do. And there's, you're only talking about like a first round talent that would really have what you would want, especially in a two year, two to three year timeframe for a normal scouts projection. Well, my point is I, I I'm shocked that this move, isn't coupled with a trade or a, some sort of splash move in its wake. And maybe we're gonna, it's going to take a while for that to pan out, but I, I just don't think you can do something this drastic and not have the answer or an answer very, very, very soon. Because it, although people want to say, hey, he's an in-the-box safety, he's this and that, it's like if, if, the, if Betcher's goal is to be a hybrid defense, which is what not even he but what Shermer said from day one, you're taking away like one of the biggest pieces. And so if you're not going to replace that, what are you saying to Betcher? Yep, and that's exactly right. And it's not just Betcher, and it's not just Shermer. It's Gettleman, too, who's making that transition, especially at the linebacker position and at the safety position to, like you said, more of a hybrid defense. And for those who believe that, you know, okay, it's fine. The Giants are not do not want to allocate 12 to $15 million a year to Collins, who they believe is a box safety. That's fine. But what you don't understand is it's not an easy fix. Free agency doesn't work like that. Most free agent contracts end up being – Deals that teams regret. The only true and tried way to win in this league is by drafting players, having four great seasons or five great seasons out of them on that cheap rookie deal, and then re-signing them. Then they know the organization. Then they know the scheme inside out. And that's how you – and there's continuity and leadership, and that's how you win. 
when you go ahead and let a leader of the locker room, the 2018 defensive captain, somebody who we've talked about on numerous occasions, has played through numerous injuries, walk in free agency like this, it doesn't send a good message. But honestly, Nick, it, do, it, it kind of brings me back a little bit to, you know, Gettleman's whole reluctance to use the 2018, or I'm sorry, the 2019 franchise tag because he believes it creates a negative distraction. And all of this kind of leads me to believe, Nick, and I have no information on this, and I'm not sure if you do either, that there is something deeper uh, with this column decision. I, I'm not sure what it is. It may date back all the way back to the Eli Apple situation in the locker room and how Collins handled that um, to maybe some of the some of the differences that Gettleman wants uh, for culture-wise in that Giants locker room. Everything we've heard on Collins, though, until this point, is that he's a great teammate, a great leader, and everything we've seen on the field, Nick, and you made a great point of this throughout our podcast throughout the entire season, is that he is a tough son of a bitch on the field. So moving on from that, Nick, obviously, uh, we can't spend all that podcast on yeah. the decision. I know neither of us are, are too too happy about it. But uh, another decision was pretty much made at the Combine, uh, and that was that the Giants seem likely, it's not locked in stone yet, but likely to bring back Eli Manning for the 2019 season. Um, this is not a surprise to me, Nick, and I don't think it's a surprise to you, but I think we both agree this is the wrong decision. Um, as far as what he what the decision goes into, the Giants believe, according to Shermer, that once they had protection for him, he was a much better player, and the offense you know, did score a lot of points once the offensive line, you know, um, you know, I guess came came into their own in the second half of the season. But at the same time, as we've gone over on this podcast, breaking down the coaches all 22, Manning struggled in the passing game in two of those second half season games that everybody lauds him for against the Titans and against the Bears. Both of those games, the Bears, he, he had a better second half. But in the first half, he had no answers. So to me, this Manning decision works and ties a bit into the column decision, at least for me, because they are going to be allocating $23.5 million of their 2019 cap space to Manning, and when Gettleman was asked about Manning taking a potential pay cut, he basically said, we're not going to approach him about it. We hope he says something to us. But newsflash, Dave Gettleman, Eli Manning's not coming to you guys saying, here, I'll take, you know, slash my salary. Because, you know, would he be amenable to a restructure that adds another year into his contract? Sure, I'm sure he would be. But that's not a good decision for the Giants right now to add another year uh, against the Captain Manning. So were you at all surprised by the Manning decision? Uh, no. Um, I guess the – that's not the right question, Nick, because I, I already outlined. Let me ask you this then. Were you at all do – do you have any defense, I guess, for the Manning decision? <laughs> the only thought popped in my head, it's like what if you make it – what if you trade away and get rid of so many assets that you force Manning into retirement? Um, cause <laughs> one of the things I was thinking is, you know, his dad said that the way that for him to come back and again, his dad has spoken for him for parts of his career is that the, the team would have to be good. The team would have to win. Right. And the, you're, you're taking critical steps in the other door opposite direction of that. Um, at this point, uh, no, I, 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 I think that, you know, it, the defense is that it's stability. The defense is that they're looking at this obviously clearly now is a multi-year type of project. And I guess unlike a lot of other front offices in the league, they have that, they actually have that window um, because most teams don't have that. You know, most owners don't give general managers and, and front offices, front office guys, front office guys and head coaches that type of like three to five year type window. Um, that's the, that's the only reaction I can have to that. It, it doesn't, you know, I guess the, the my quick answer is I've, I've actually spent a lot of the last six weeks relooking at the giants offense and, and I think actually kind of going back in terms of overall, like how we viewed things on this podcast, I think we were way too lenient 
Um, you know, that's just the bottom line. The ball is not distributed on time where it needs to be for a large percentage of the time. And so if they want to continue to live in that, then they got that. And the whole idea that, that Manning played better in the second half, I understand that. But when I looked at the numbers, I put this on Twitter. The, the biggest delta, the biggest change was how he played versus pressure. He played a lot better versus pressure in the second half of the season. Yep. So that's what I actually saw as the biggest difference, not the offensive line play. So, you know, the offensive line is going to continue to get better. You know, Wheeler's not going to be there. And But I don't know if, that's, if, if that factor is going to get you to a spot where – where, you know, he's better than your free agent replaceable uh, quarterbacks right now. Um, but anyway, that's that's that was kind of my initial reaction. And I'll play devil's advocate for a second with the Manning decision. And for, for starters, it's an easier decision to make knowing that this is the last year on his contract and they're not committing future years of cap space. And I think that plays a role into it. I do think at the same time, and this is not part of the, the contrarian defense, that John Mara as and the Giants ownership – wants to really do right by Manning, which, you know, at times may not lead you to believe that they're doing right by the state of the franchise, but that's a whole other argument. But aside from just the the short-term commitment that it is that it is to Manning, I do believe that, they're, you know, you're not going to get – his salary is 23.5 against the Catholics, and it's $17 million they can recoup. They would have $6 million in dead space. So if you count that $6 million in dead cap that they would have from releasing Manning, I'm not sure you're going to definitely get a free agent on the open market who at, who's going to be – a lot cheaper than what it would cost plus the $6 million in dead cap to sign uh, over Manning and be competent. Because I think if you're going to go for one of these Bridgewater types or even like a Tyrod Taylor, that might be the lowest bar. That might be the bottom of the range. If you're going for a guy like that, they're going to cost some money. So I get that. And they may also not sign for a short-term deal. And so I understand the idea of not wanting to invest long-term in any of these free agent quarterbacks and the comfort of having a Manning. But at the same time, by releasing Manning and recouping $17 million in cap space, I'm not really sure the Giants are losing that much. Even if, let's say, they went with Kyle Ouellette and Nick as the starter for next season. Let's just say that. But but that probably wouldn't happen. Let's say it was Tyrod Taylor and Loletta, or Loletta, Tyrod Taylor, and a rookie they select in the 2019 NFL draft. You're in, in that scenario, you're allocating next to no salary cap space to the quarterback position. And sure, you could bottom out and have really bad play in your passing game and offense overall. But how much different is that than what they're going to get from Manning? That's the biggest issue that me and you have and, right. you know, versus some, some of the people on Giants Twitter who want to maybe retain Manning because we just don't see the ceiling anymore for Manning. So you're allocating a lot of cap space to someone who doesn't really deliver you any kind of major ceiling. And in the case of maybe the 2019 NFL draft where they could easily fall in love with one of these defensive playmakers and pass on a quarterback, you're then just putting yourself in a worse position for the 2020 NFL draft. So I think that's kind of where I stand now on the Manning decision. I've come to terms with it, but I just don't see the upside. You know, in terms of like giving the, 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 a veteran and a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, like him, the respect, you know, what I just think is really tough is let's just say you go, let's just say you draft a quarterback. And let's say the Giants go two and four. Then what do you do? Right. Like you really want to have that conversation in week seven? <laughs> You know, you're going to have that conversation week 14 again, like they did this year. I, I don't, I don't, at some point you have to cut it. And so I'm just, I don't know. It, that, that, that to me is more of a disrespect than doing it, you know, in a way, in a way now. Um, but anyway, that's just, just a thought. No doubt. And then moving on some other news from the combine, the Giants uh, placed Olivier Vernon on the trade block, at least reportedly. This is no surprise to me. Um, I don't think they'll find any takers. They didn't find any takers at the last trade deadline. It will be easier now, though, I will say, for them to find a trade partner because the Giants are going to be responsible for uh, a portion of his cap hit in 2019, uh, just based on the bonuses. Um, but if the Giants cannot find a trade partner at all, 
They're likely going to release him. I can't see any scenario where they where they bring him back. They've been they've been looking towards uh, moving on from him for a while, and that move will create eight million in salary cap space, but it'll also bring on an eleven million dollar dead salary cap hit, which is not great for the Giants. But I do believe that if they do, and if if and when they do release Olivier Vernon, and we'll get to this in a in a podcast just for free agency, a preview pod, they will sign at least one or two free agent edge rushers. I've heard some scuttle about the Giants having interest in Darius Smith from the Baltimore Ravens. So I will be giving Nick a little homework assignment to look into him at some point. But I think that this is pretty much a four. This was a foregone conclusion we were expecting, right? Nick, did you, did you see the, did you see any scenario where Vernon was coming back? No, I think it's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough just because of the money issue. I think, like you said, the, the trading issue becomes a little easier now, but it's one of those things, the contract just becomes a total albatross. And it's, it's tough. Very, very tough. Yeah, and I think, honestly, if Vernon had done a better job of staying healthy during the Giants' career, we might be looking at a different scenario here. He's not the fit they want at that outside line position. That's pretty obvious. But at the same time, his production is still pretty solid when healthy uh, to the point where maybe they would accept, okay, we don't want to take this $11 million dead cap hit. We'll, we'll wait one more offseason. But the fact of the matter is this. Even saving that at $8 million might be worth it because Vernon's been injured for long stretches in each of the last three seasons, including his 2016 season when he first signed, which he, where he was really good in the second half. He had you know seven and a half sacks over his final nine games. But in the first half, he was playing through a broken hand, and he was ineffective. So at this point, the injuries, I think, have, have really told the story there. And then moving on, it appears Janoris Jenkins will not be you know one of these cat casualties, a guy they're looking to trade, anything like that. Um, and that makes a lot of sense to me for a number of reasons. One, how, how weak they are at cornerback, and then just two, because they did restructure his deal prior to last season to uh, create some cap space, um, and that really should have told everyone right there that they're not going to release him the offseason after. It just would result in too much debt, too much dead cap money. I mean, I believe they would save seven million by releasing him, but also take on a seven million dollar dead cap hit. So, did that surprise you at all, Nick? That he wasn't on in the trade rumors? No, no, it's just because, like we said, that you, if you don't have the replaceable guy and you haven't gotten that from from the seasons of this year, they they need more help, and it's not it doesn't help yourself to get rid of them. No doubt about that. All right, we're going to move on now, Nick, and try to dive into what we learned or what we we feel like we learned from the combine. So I wanted to start it off with asking you any position groups that really stood out to you at the combine. Uh you know, besides, the easy answer is the D line. The, like the freaks on the D line this year are out of control, right? So, so that from a from a quantifiable standpoint, that's that's that has to be the biggest thing. Um, I guess too the overall depth of the running back class, which has nothing to do with the Giants. Um, I think that that's just crazy. How I, I think there's really 25 good running backs. I think it's really hard to differentiate between some of these because of the prevalent of the passing game in college. Um, but yeah, so at the position two, the position groups that stood out, you have to say the D line. I think you have to say, um, yeah, Freakerson's the D line, and, and maybe I guess to a little bit of the. I think the linebacker group has on the insides, um, the inside linebacker group has has really been solidified by the junior class compared to where it was in Mobile, um, or compared to the seniors in Mobile, I should say. That was two big things for me. Yeah, I think for me actually, Nick, the most interesting uh, parts of the combine were the fact that. This tight end class was talked up to me at least a lot by people I respect. You know, one of the better tight end classes in a long time. But I felt like it was very top happy, heavy after watching them uh, com compete at the combine and just seeing where they stood athletically. And then the other thing that really stood out to me was kind of just the depth of this offensive line class. After you know weigh-ins, measurements, and athletic testing, a lot of these guys in most years you see 
them start to be talked about as, you know, this guy's going to have to kick inside. This guy can't do it. But a lot of the guys, Dalton Riser, for example, you know, he's six foot five and he tested out fine with arm span and wing, wing, I mean, wingspan and arm length. So I think they're going to be more offensive tackles than people expect that could be really quality players in the NFL from this draft class. And I think that's exciting for the Giants who obviously need to draft an offensive tackle. Um, and then, like you said, I was also impressed with the inside linebacker group and, you know, some, how some of the players tested. Obviously, Devin Bush and Devin White running four fours, uh, essentially, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, but any players who stood out to you that, may, you know, maybe, you know, A, you saw at the Senior Bowl and thought, you know, would boost their stock by the combine or maybe guys you saw and you thought, you know, their stock might decline after the combine or just any big surprises there? I think this isn't, this isn't Giants related, but it's something that I just don't understand. Um, Cleveland Farrell, I think, is an awesome player, and he didn't test off the charts. And the sentiment has now reached on him that he had to to test off the charts to basically solidify his position in the, as a middle round first rounder, middle first rounder, or in the, first, the top half of the first round. So now, if he's not going to be in that because he tested kind of, I guess, from a pedestrian or in the middle of the road type of type of standpoint, I just think that that's something where he's a guy for, as an edge rusher that is is. He he's he's just versatile enough. He's very powerful. He has a pass rush plan, and he's got a lot of moves. And basically, the color that I just got from listening to another podcast actually was his first. Says how good his first step is, and how weird is is basically his rushes after the fact. I just see that he has everything you need. And if you only improve a couple things, you're going to have actually a rookie who has multiple moves. There's not many of the of the edge rushers that actually have solidified multiple counter moves. In this, you know, if you're talking about if you're talking about the Allens of the world, uh, you know, kind of down the lines, even I guess the next guy that really has that is almost like a Jakai Polite. And so my point of saying all this is like, I, I, I actually, if he dips in the back half of the first round, I think someone's going to be really lucky and come up and snag him. Um, and that was one where I, I, again, was surprised that people think that he needed to test well. I think his tape really kind of says a lot. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Jakai Polite and that obviously a kid who. You know, before the combine was projected top 10, top 15, and that's even hard to say because this class is so deep on the defensive line, but, you know, it was terrible at the combine. He didn't do well in the interviews, uh, showed up, they didn't believe in shape, you know, tested extremely poorly, at least compared to the rest of the class um, that tested incredibly well. And like you said, someone in this top, you know, there's so many awesome defensive line and edge prospects. Someone's going to drop in the back half of that second round. And you know what? Honestly, Nick, I think it's possible someone could drop the Giants at number 37 overall. It's one of the reasons I believe, you know, them holding on to this 30 number 37 overall pick is extremely important when it comes to, you know, the possibility of potentially trading up for a quarterback and whatnot. Um, and we'll get to more of that later. But I think that's what really stood out to me. Just, you know, how deep that cl- the, the top of the class is on the defense line, but also that, you know, some of these guys are going to are going to change you're going to flip at least you know guys like Montez Sweat he ran a 441 everybody knows about that obviously you know technically faster than Odell Beckham Jr but in the end these guys are going it all comes down to the tape for some of these general managers and the Giants general manager Dave Gettleman is one of them he's made that clear in the past the combine for him is almost exclusively about the interview process and so you know when you mentioned to me you see you see a guy like Clown Farrell on tape and he's really really impressive to you that may not be the case for all you know, 32 NFL GMs. And I think that's where value is created in, in every draft class. And that's where maybe the Giants can strike um, from a talent and personnel evaluation standpoint. But I did want to talk about a few other things that intrigued me from the combine, Nick. And I thought it was really interesting to hear Pat Shermer talk about Kyler Murray for a couple of reasons. For starters, he threw out a stat that obviously proved he's been watching a lot of Murray, talked about how, you know, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion about his height. Um, but he only had five balls batted down at the line of scrimmage during the 2018 season. He also mentioned that you know he went back and has seen every single play from Murray during the 2018 season, and he called his tape out. He called him outstanding on tape. Uh, my question for you, Nick, is this: Do you think that Kyler Murray is as outstanding on tape as Pat Shermer does? Do you think he's uh, do you think he's someone who could be in play for the Giants? And then lastly, where does he stand currently on your quarterback rankings? Yeah, he's got to be top three, if not like I haven't really filed through, and I'm probably not going to really you know, divvy between the, the, the top the top group. He's just in the top group. It's really him, Haskins, and whoever you want to think about for <laughs> the the toss in there at the, the number three the three level, um, the, the third spot there. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think he is. I think he's I think he's electric. I think he reads the field really really well. And I think that there's the, – I'll just address the – some guys think the concerns are that he kind of likes to take off. And, and I think that um, if, you, if you kind of study Lincoln Riley a lot and kind of go back to Mayfield, Mayfield, whenever he goes out of structure, it almost looks like he's in structure because he's making the right decisions. And that's at the college and at the, at the NFL level. At both levels, he was very – it looks like he was very, very well prepared to be off structure. That's a little out of structure. That's a little surprising at the college level. I think that was something that Riley really, really helped his quarterbacks with. And I think when, you know, I saw some instances where guys didn't like him taking off for big gains and, and, and they made the point that, hey, you can't do this at the NFL level. And my point was, well, if you're making a read and you think that you're just as good, as good a position as the wide receiver you're throwing to in terms of the angle on the defender you're trying to beat in the passing scheme, well, then take off because there's, there's, there's no risk. And so if you have that type of like strategic taking off, uh, strategic running as, a, as almost a third read in a, in a progression, then, I'm, then you got to be down with it because that guy's like the most explosive guy in the field, right? So overall, I think that, yeah, you're, you're looking at someone who's going to be in the top five. Um, almost no matter what happens, I think he's going to be in the, in, in the top five, uh, the top five spots here. So, yeah, I, I think the ceiling's there and, and people worry about the frame. And the one last thing I'll note, which is kind of cool, I got this tidbit. Um, from a coaching clinic, from a coaching clinic. If you go to an Oklahoma practice, they never make a throw in a clear lane at all during practice. Skelly, seven on seven, whatever it is, there's bags in front of them that they have to negotiate to throw the ball, even if it's on air. And I just thought that was cool that that you have habit levels, how you have habits being built at the college level for him to secure throwing lanes. That you know, if you're going to worry about his height, that that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, Nick, for me, I've done a lot more study now on these top quarterbacks in the class, and I'm ready to say, I mean, I've been, I've said it before, and I'm ready to say, he's the QB1 for me in this class, and I think a lot of what you said is really interesting. I have a few other points to add, but I did find what you said extremely interesting about sometimes, you know, maybe he's running because he believes it's the best option based on his read of the play, and not to mention, there are a lot of times when you watch Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins on tape, and they just don't have an option for pressure. And sometimes when people think Murray's bailing too quick, it's actually because it's actually him bailing at the right time. Because if you look at some of the other quarterbacks in this class, like Locke and Haskins, they're trying to bail and they can't get away. But most importantly for me with Murray, the reason why, you know, I could be talked into the Giants trading up to number one overall to draft him. And honestly, Nick, you say top five. I'm pretty confident at this point Murray will be the number one overall pick whether that be to the Arizona Cardinals or a team that trades up for him. That's kind of where I see this going. Um, but, you know, why I can be convinced on trading up for Murray, the two things that stand out for me, Nick, are just, number one, accuracy. And I'm not talking about, like, general accuracy, the, the ability to get the ball 
in the space where a wide receiver can catch it. I'm talking about pinpoint accuracy. And I learned these terms uh, from following Matt Wallman's work, uh, who I really think everyone who listens to this podcast would enjoy. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Wallman. Uh, I think it's, I don't know his exact Twitter handle, but check, check out Matt Wallman. And, you know, he really caught me onto this. And with Murray, what I mean by pinpoint accuracy is he hits on so, such a high percentage of his throws, Nick. The ball is placed in the exact perfect spot for yards after the catch. And I haven't seen that from any quarterback, and it's not even close in this class to me. Murray's pass, especially, and this is especially true on kind of those mesh routes that we see Pat Shermer run a lot, those under yeah. routes. That ball is put in such a good spot for his receivers to run after the catch. It's also equally as impressive, his pinpoint accuracy up the seam. It's another area where I see him putting the ball in perfect spots for run after the catch. And then you can't create, in this class at least in my opinion, what Murray's able to do, not only off structure as you talk about, but in the big play game. You know, with, with, with the Kansas City Chiefs offense, a lot of, in my opinion, what made them so special is that they had an element of big play, of big playability in every single game they played. And that's what I saw on tape when I watched uh, Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. I haven't seen that on, in every game I've watched of Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke or any of the other guys. And I'm not saying that's a that's totally a bad thing. You know, you'll watch some games where Haskins just consistently picks apart a defense. For example, against Maryland, the game I was just watching, Haskins consistently picked them apart in the intermediate range. And, you know, he had a great comeback win there for, for Ohio State. It was a great game. But just that element of big playability that Murray brings with his arm, not with his not only and with his legs, but not only with his legs, with his arm. Um, his accuracy on the deep ball is uncanny. No one else in this class, in my opinion, is as accurate as him on the deep ball. And the ability to just throw from different arm angles and trajectories, all of that to me, Nick, outweighs the negatives that may come with his frame, his size, uh, you know, anything else like that. So for, for those reasons, I would be open to them trading up for him. I'm not sure that will be in the Giants' plan, though. Yeah, this is for the listeners. What Dan's describing on a shallow cross is called a runner's ball. And so um, – Basically, when you're people think throwing screens and shallow crosses and balls to the flat are kind of just like get it out there. If you put the ball in the in the correct placement, it's a placement versus accuracy discussion. They can actually in stride continue to run with the ball. And yes, that is something that has been lacking with this team for multiple years now. And it does show up on the tape. And what you saw this year with team with the Giants, the Giants love to run tr- uh, shallow cross across the field as a clear out concept, where the other side of the field was running three verts. And the whole goal there is to beat is to beat the flat defender on that side. He has to have a runner's ball. And so, yeah, that's exactly what Dan's talking about for and for for what they were doing. And it wasn't just air raid concepts at uh, you know down in Oklahoma. So, yeah, absolutely, the, that part of his game is something where you know it's something that shines. And the other quarterbacks can get there for sure, um, but it's something that he's going to kind of be ready with uh, day one. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not. I don't want to be on the record here saying the other quarterbacks aren't doing that. I've watched a lot of Dwayne Haskins, and he does throw excellent balls uh, on those same exact routes, runner's balls, like you said. I just don't think he does it as consistently as Murray, and he certainly doesn't do it as consistently in the flats. That's where Murray's accuracy seriously shines in the flats, the running backs. Um, but what I do think both quarterbacks can add, in addition to what you said, which is you know runner's ball on those on those mesh and short cl- crossing routes, something the Giants haven't had, it's also just red zone efficiency. Both of those players are extremely accurate in the red zone. I do honestly think Murray, again, in the red zone is more accurate than Haskins, but also they both offer, and I was surprised to see this when I rewatched a lot of Haskins film, they both offer the zone read option. I mean, Haskins obviously isn't as dynamic as Murray running those concepts, but he can get there, and he ha- he forces the defense to at least consider that option. Op- those two things excite me when you think about, you know, if the Giants can get their hands on either of those guys, 
um, it could really help improve the offense from day one uh, a lot in a lot shorter of a time span than people may think. Um, but moving on a little bit, Dave Gettleman, I thought it was interesting with how Dave Gettleman, a guy who, you know, if for nothing else is brutally honest with his plans, um, talked up how important it was for finding a quarterback, you know, in this draft class and how you can't you can't wait for 2020, the 2020 class, um, no matter who may be in that from a prospect standpoint. Um, and I think that's a good sign for this franchise because I've said in the past, Nick, and I do believe this, every year the Giants wait to draft a quarterback is just one extra uh, wasted year of Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham's prime. Because, again, if you look at you know the breakout quarterbacks from last year, Nick, Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, um, Jared Goff the year before last year, what do they all have in common? It was their second NFL season. And anytime you bring in a rookie, if they do it this class or next, he's going to probably need a year to get accustomed to the NFL, to his teammates, rapport with his wide receivers. And I just think at this point, you have to kind of factor that in when making your decision on whether or not to draft a quarterback. Would you agree with that? Or would you say that that's going too far in the direction of drafting for need? I don't know. I don't think it, 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 it is just because you need – it's the position that has the highest amount of impact that you absolutely need to win – to, to, to consistently get in the playoffs, right? So you have to take your shots to get that guy. Even if that means in some for some regimes they get fired, but you you, you take a whip and miss. So when by not making that move, you're effectively just prolonging the decision that you have to make um, you know, at, at some point. And so and the other side of it too is that none of these front offices, although people like to think this, none of these front offices are making judgments on what they think quarterbacks are going to be like in a year. Um, but it, it, the quarterbacks in college are going to be like for the next draft class. It's just, it's physically impossible to do that. So um, yeah, they, they, it's, it's not for need at that point. It's, it's when you, it's when you have the chance to pull the trigger, basically just swing your sword. Exactly. For anyone who thinks the Giants should wait for the 2020 class, I really wish they would consider how difficult it might be for the Giants to acquire their top quarterback or any top quarterback next draft. Um, you know, obviously there's no guarantee they'll have the number six pick or anywhere close uh, to that. And, and and while they might, it's not something you can bank on. But moving on, Nick, I did want to get your thoughts on what you saw from Dwayne Haskins on Saturday at the combine when he threw. Uh, you know, basically, I like the fact that he that I liked his attitude more than any of the throws that he had. Basically, it was that he, you know, he, he, he all he does is throw. So that's what he wants to do there. And it was kind of thrown in the face of Kyler Murray a little bit who did not throw. Right. Um, so I just I kind of like that competitive attitude in a kind of a playful way, but in the right mindset way. And and I think that, you know, from honestly, I'm, I'm not going to lie, throws on air, it, it, was, it was cool to see. But it was, I, I think, his, the, I think his, his interview in front of a lot of reporters went a long way with, with, with Giants media, which is part of the battle that you have here. Um, so I think, I think he kind of checks that box and that he's not, you know, he's well prepared and well spoken and, you know, gives respect like at all times. And he's very, very intelligent. So it's like, I think you, have, you, you checked all those boxes there in front of a lot of cameras. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I'm not making much of what 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 any of those guys did from an our talent standpoint throwing at the combine. I think as Gettleman's made clear and as I would agree with, um, it's more about what he does in the interview process. Not only like you said with the not only the private interviews, but also like you said in front of all reporters and everything. You know, everything you read on Haskins is that he is a going to be a team first guy, a really good face of the franchise. And you know, as I've gone back, Nick, and looked at more of Haskins, I do actually, I, I'm do actually, I'm, I'm I guess I'll say. I'm having more of an appreciation for his arm talent. While I don't really think he has that big play arm that can, you know, make, like I said, every game with Kyle Murray, there's a big play. That, that's not the case with Haskins. 
But I do believe that in the short and intermediate range, he's got really good. He has better arm talent than I thought. He's more accurate, more pinpoint accurate in those in that area of the field than I thought. And he has more zip and velocity than I, you know, that I had seen at times. It, it varies um, throughout different games depending on obviously, you know, how he's doing with pressure and whatnot. But I do think that, like you said, most of what we saw him throwing against air is not going to factor much into the Giants' evaluation. But I did want to talk about another storyline, Nick, from the combine, and that's the Josh Rosen rumors. So obviously for those who aren't caught up, but I believe everybody knows this by this point, there's widespread league um, assumption, I guess I would say, that the Cardinals will draft Kyler Murray at number one overall and look to trade Josh Rosen. One GM told Peter King, and you can you know be the judge of your own on the validity of support, but told Peter King that he wouldn't receive the you know the Cardinals wouldn't receive more than a third round pick. I believe eventually it that you know that report is pretty inaccurate from the sense that they don't know what the bidding will be for for Rosen. It all it takes is one team to offer up a big you know to be desperate enough to offer a, a, a premium pick to to make it happen. Like who's to say the Redskins won't use their 16th pick just to have an immediate starter in Rosen? Because I believe per- personally he'd be a perfect fit for Gruden's scheme there. But my point to you, Nick, is this: I think that if Rosen is put on the trade block. The Giants should certainly be uh, very, very interested and make an offer for for Rosen. Where do you stand on that? I think I tweeted this out just for guys that follow me on Twitter. So it's not like I'm always just recycling what I say on on Twitter (laughs) to get the disclaimer. Um, Right when the news first hit, I guess it was a few weeks ago, I think that Gettleman should wait no matter what. And now in the wake of the combine, you can kind of see how the market shakes, shakes up. I, my first reaction to this was there's no way this deal happens unless if it's owner to owner because it's too sensitive a situation with the guy who you just drafted as your FQB, quote unquote, and now you're looking to unload him. And not having ever done that in my life before, but having handled like larger size transactions, like whatever you start doing that, you don't start making phone calls. Like you don't want this guy on the block. Like that, that just becomes a shit show of a situation. Right. And so you end up hurting yourself. So in the end, it's like you got to you want to talk to select demand. And and Steve Kime said this. I can't believe he fucking said it, but he said this that the, he's a franchise quarterback for now. So he's given the signal, and now they're kind of I guess assessing what they what they're doing. The bigger report that I would talk about that I would just say was complete BS was that um, was that uh, what's his face? Um, my mind's trying to blank their head coach. I'm a brain fart. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that he was out speaking at – that he was talking to people in Indianapolis basically saying that it was a done deal that they were going to take Murray, that the Cardinals were going to take Murray. There's there's no way that was the case, but clearly people are putting signals into the marketplace that it may be the case. So who's manipulating who? I'm not really sure, but my point is I think that that you could make a bid for him, and if, and if Gettleman was going to do it, I would wait to the very, very end. Um, if you felt compelled and you could somehow get a sense of what the bid ask is, what the bid offer is, then at the end, if you just to make your assessment then versus going down and helping support the market right now, which apparently in its worst case is a third round is a third round bid. I think that I guess what I'm trying to say is if you could get him for a second rounder, that'd be pretty good. Right. And so and that's, again, with the evaluation that you actually want him. And so I think if, if they're if they stand if they stand that that's their decision in the end. And I would wait to the end, if wait as long as possible to basically help themselves because I don't think Arizona has a lot of legs to stand on when they're they're in a very sensitive situation. They can't offer him to multiple people and then and then not. Let's just put it this way: if they some people could have even floated the idea that they, that they would draft both and basically let both play and push both and then trade one after a year. 
But again, the more time you let go from um, from Rosen's uh, rookie contract, the, the less value, the less valuable he becomes. So I think they, they want to do this soon, if that's the case. And I think the Giants want to wait as long as they can. Yeah, I actually do. I, I, I see what you're saying on that last point, Nick, but but they're not going to, I don't think there's any chance they, they do that strategy of waiting a year because for starters, like you said, his value drops significantly yeah. because you lose a year of that rookie cheap deal. And that's or it's already dropped because of that. that's part of the reason his trade value isn't as high now. But also, and, and that's just like anything, when you buy a car, the, the value depreciates. But at the same time, I believe it would create an, a distraction they probably don't want in the locker room with back-to-back first-round picks on the roster at quarterback. It's not a good look. Um, it's not a good look for the team for anything. So I do believe he would be traded. And obviously, we did this. We started up this podcast, Nick, after last year's draft. And anyone who followed me all the way back then or anyone who hasn't, Rosen was my QB1 from the last draft class. I believe he saw the field at UCLA better than any quarterback in the class, and in a class that included Sam Darnold, who saw the field extremely well. I thought Rosen's mechanics, both footwork and throwing mechanics, made him one of the most accurate passers. I do believe he needs – he's a little bit scheme-dependent. I think he's – best in a play-action-based scheme uh, and from under center and in rhythm. So I think that there are ways to get with him to get to him with pressure, as we obviously saw last year in his rookie season behind the worst offensive line in football, according to literally every single uh, – any, 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 single, any single outlet you see. Um, but um, sorry about that. Just had a little bit of a – we lost track a little bit there. But uh, got, got a little bit of a message from work. But anyway – Back to what I was saying, I believe that all of those things are true still with Rosen um, going into this next year. And if the Giants, Nick, can land a situation where uh, land a situation where they can get Rosen for their second round pick and then trade back from number six to number ten or number thirteen and recoup that second round pick, I think that's obviously the win-win for this franchise, where they would get not only their quarterback of the future, even though they lose a year of his rookie contract, but also they would get back that second round pick and still get a top ten player uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Do you, do you see that as a, as a possible scenario for them? Yeah, I, I think all but the end, the second part of that, I just like, yes, that's what they would want to do, but I don't know if they would, they, they, I don't know if they've proven to be nimble enough to actually get that done. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think they could, they could make the move for Rose and then, then kind of sit and see what's what, which I think would kind of be a mistake. I think they want to do what you're saying. Um, I think though, yeah, it comes down to what the room feels like about Rosen now at this time and after a year and, and the positive guys who were, who were, who were lobbying for him last year or who were higher on him last year within, within, within the decision maker. So yeah, I think it's a possibility. Yeah. And we don't know, we don't know the factors, um, as far as, you know, where the giants stand on him now or where they stood on him at any point in the evaluation. But I will say this about Rosen, they did report at least reportedly interview him and meet with him more than any other quarterback prospect in the 2018 class. So they certainly at least, at least maybe it was a bluff, but they certainly showed interest in Rosen um, last off season. And, you know, like I said, with, with, with regards to Rosen, uh, I do believe that he shouldn't be judged uh, entirely off his rookie season um, based on the fact that, like I said, he was behind not only the worst offensive line in football by, you know, I was trying to say every metric football I was trying to look it up, but football outsiders has it pro football focus. And, and even ESPN's block uh, win, win block rate has that has Arizona dead last, but they also had injuries across the line. So like I said, it, it does depend on the giants evaluation, but I do believe the best scenario for this franchise, probably this off season would be to get, have their cake and eat it too, by getting Rosen and still getting, uh, you know, a top 10 or 13, if they trade back to 10 or 13 with Miami or Denver defensive player in this class. Uh, but moving on a bit past Rosen to someone else who we saw actually at the combine 
What did you think of Tyree Jackson? Because he was someone who stood out to me when I watched him throw at the combine. I was surprised how fast he was um, and how athletic he looked actually in the 40. And I won't, I won't lie, I did not even see him throw. Um, but, you know, going back to the kind of the, – the mobile tape is still going to be there. And it's just the super the, – the inconsistencies in his lower body, it just makes it seem like he's going to be someone who, you know, is, really has to sharpen that up. And and that's going to be a tough one for the, for the next level, especially at an impact right away. So, you know, I think he's interesting. But, you know, you're talking about a round four, round five, round six type of guy, that, that type of thing. Yeah, I think in the end you're going to be right about Jackson as far as – where you should take him. I don't think that will happen. I think he will be selected in the second or third round, Nick, just because I think all it takes is one general manager to fall in love with him. And that's kind of how it goes. And when you look at him, six foot seven, 249, ran a 459, great natural arm talent. Um, but like you said, when I went back and watched him at Buffalo, I, I was actually a little bit surprised, Nick, at how inaccurate he was and how, you know, how kind of non-advanced he looked as a quarterback. I guess that's not a, the best way to describe it, Nick, but that's kind of just from a mechanic standpoint and the delivery of the football, it was not on point in a lot of ways. He underthrew a lot of the outside, the hash uh, routes, the deeper routes, the back shoulder fades, things like that. He wasn't there all there as a quarterback, but it is important to keep in mind that this off season, he's privately training with Jordan Palmer. Um, the guy who obviously also trained Sam Darnold and Josh Allen last off season and Sean Watson before that. And he said that this is the first private training he's ever had as a quarterback, which I found interesting, Nick. He is a self-taught quarterback. He said that he would watch YouTube videos on basically how to play the position, and he tried to teach himself the quarterback position. And you can obviously see that when you watch him play at Buffalo. But we're talking – you know, he is still a guy, 6'7", great arm talent from what I've seen. I mean, he was ripping the ball at the combine. And I think that was on purpose. You know, Steve Smith, obviously, of NFL Network, came over and was like, you got to slow you got to slow the speed up to give these guys a chance. But I think his agent might have – this is just a little bit, little small conspiracy theory I have. His agent might have been like, you know, let it rip at the combine. Show, you know, show these evaluators the, the difference in your arm talent versus the rest of this field um, that was there. So I do think that he's he's got enough of those traits, Nick, that someone will fall in love with him and draft him early. But I agree with you. If it's the Giants, I would prefer it to be day three or nothing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Definitely. Um, another guy who caught my attention um, is Brian Burns, a player who I talked about last week before the combine as someone who wouldn't surprise me if the Giants, if he was on the Giants radar and, you know, evaluated as one of their five best players overall on their big board. And at the combine, I wanted to see what he could do from an, from, you know, an agility and lateral agility standpoint. And he tested out in the 82nd percentile uh, on the three cone, which was extremely impressive to me to go along with his Four five three forty yard dash at two hundred forty nine pounds, and he carries that weight extremely well. He also was in the ninety eighth percentile with his broad jump, an extremely explosive athlete, clearly with the requisite agility needed, um, and obviously the raw speed at the position. On tape, I mean, from what I've seen, and I have not seen that much, Nick, he's he looks really good. And I will say this: while I haven't seen that much tape on Brian Burns, I have tracked a lot of his actual raw stats, and from a pressure standpoint, and again. I believe that's probably the most underrated stat when evaluating defensive linemen because so much is made of stacks, which are, you know, when, meanwhile, pressures force incomplete passes, errant throws, and sometimes turnovers. Um, I believe he had the six most pressures in the nation uh, from any edge rusher, and he was number eight overall pass rusher. And these stats are both according to pro football focus. So I like Burns a lot. Where do you stand on Burns as of right now? Uh, I'm not I've not seen his tape, but you got to like the ability to – like everyone knew looking at his measurables coming out of the season that he had to gain weight, right? 
well, he gained weight and kept the athleticism. That's huge. Yeah. You're doing it in a short amount of time. So you're just checking boxes for the guys that want it. And, you know, that, that's just going to go, that goes so far with the evaluation uh, versus the guys that just kind of show up. And so that's a big, big deal. I think the biggest thing for, you know, the biggest thing for the Giants, and this, I think we may have had this convo or conversation already, but I, I'm not sure if we did. It gets into, if, if he's going to be a giant, a potential giant guy, it gets into what, or potential Giants edge pass rusher, it gets into if, how much they want him to actually coverage, to cover, to and to drop off into coverage, which was a higher amount last year, or if they're willing to bend those prerequisites because of the production they can get. And I don't think that they can go into the season and go into week four and week five and not have any and have the same pass rush, pass rush pressures that they've had uh, in the past year. I don't think the defense can function. I just they they need to get to the quarterback. So, you know, are they going to bend on that if they have a guy who's clearly incredibly athletic? clearly shows that he can change, right? I think changing the, the willingness and the ability to change and be coachable is such a huge part of this. Um, you know, are they willing to take a guy like that that may not be the exact fit, but just fit enough? Um, yeah, and, and you're looking at this guy who, you know, I guess you're thinking about the back half of first of the first round. That's kind of where he's projected now. Um, I think, and I'm guessing there, I'm not going to lie. I, I, you know, I think he could go higher than that for sure. But it's one of those guys where if he's in, if he's around, like that may be the guy to move for, for sure. I actually see it a little differently than you, Nick. I think he's going to end up being a top 10 pick, top 15, top 10 pick. I think that – what you say? Yeah, totally, totally. Again, totally could be, and, and especially going forward and being a BC guy, absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Could and definitely. he's a guy who I really – and I and I think there are enough, you know, potential, you know, I wouldn't say flaws, but drawbacks that he might be more in that 10 to 15 range. He's the guy I would be targeting if they do, you know, what I would consider their dream scenario and trade their second round pick for Rosen and then trade back at six to pick back up a second rounder um, and get to 10 or 13 with Denver, Miami. So that's just somebody who I'm keeping an eye on. Um, but moving on, I wanted to wrap up with a couple more guys who really intrigued me really just from testing out just unbelievably athletic for their size, Devin, Devin Bush and Devin white, the two inside linebackers from Michigan and uh, LSU. What did you make of those two? Uh, freakish speed. I was actually listening to, um, Bush's uh, uh, coordinator speak the day of his, uh, of, of his testing and his, uh, and Don Brown called a four, four. So I guess he missed expectations by four. Yeah. Um, the freakish freakish speed. I have the, from what I've seen on tape, what has jumped at me the most. And I didn't know this and didn't really understand this, but even for his size, he, his use of hands is freaking awesome. And his strength at the point of attack is awesome. And I saw why in his clinic because the drills they do are just unbelievable for him. For inside linebackers, um, so you have a guy who's really fundamentally strong, and and not to call it out like this, this is actually completely com- uh, unfair, kind of like comparison, but it's the exact opposite of the way Ogletree plays the linebacker position. Um, who you know Ogletree kind of struggles when when blockers come at him and struggles against inter- interior runs. Um, it's just it's the way that he he makes good plays, but consistently it's not that's not that's not his kind of his thing. And so it was interesting to see to see a guy of like the same size be able to really handle it. Um, like really handle it and you know and white's not that dissimilar white's bigger right by about 10 pounds i think um overall i think i don't think either are going to be in the giants plan just because they're going to be gone before they can take them and i don't think that they value that position highly enough or as high as, the, as these guys are going to go uh but but two really really awesome prospects yeah, I think any chance the Giants had at getting Bush in the second round which was on my radar was kind yeah. of walked away after the combine because Someone that freakishly athletic is just going to end up probably being a first-round pick. 
I think, or at least somebody selected in those five picks before the Giants uh, in the round in the second round. But you know, it's it's still I think a little bit in play. I wouldn't totally rule it out just yet. And I'm with you. I think that they can make a massive, massive impact on the Giants' defense. But let's jump over to the section of the podcast, which is obviously my favorite part, and I know it's Nick's too. Questions from you guys, the listeners. So we'll start with Big Blue Kane, who asks. Now that Landon Collins is gone, what defensive players could DG be looking to use that $11 million in cap space on? Well, you got to think they bring in some safety at some point, right? Like they're not going to piecemeal the safety position again. Um, so I, I guess that's the first one. Um, I, I, I think, look, I think it has to be that. And uh, if uh, it's defensive players, um, they got a lot of needs. It, I, I think it's safety and defensive back needs are the are the first two glaring ones. And one last thing that I'll that I'll make to this point is, in terms of free agency, I heard this on a uh, on a competitor NFC East uh, uh, podcast talking about an NFC East competitor. Um, uh, good teams use free agency to secure their needs so that they can draft however they want to based upon basically the, their draft boards. Yeah, so the Giants aren't going to have that luxury this year, Nick. <laughs> but what's interesting though, is, is they might, they need to take massive strides in getting that and getting right. these holes plugged. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's one to two players now, at least uh, that, that's a safety slash linebacker hybrid, at least. I think honestly, to answer your question, big blue came and to, you know, re- not refute what Nick said, but add a little bit of a different spin, I guess. I think that Gettleman's kind of playing this almost like Madden. I, Madden, I really do. I think he, all this cap space he's clearing by not resigning Landon Collins and whatnot, he's going to use. And I actually think he's banking on the fact that the safety market is going to be as inflated as it was last season when guys like Trey Boston, you know, coming off a great 26-17 when you really looked at it, got a really small, short, not expensive one-year deal last offseason. And he's banking on that, I think, to find multiple safeties. And I think he's going to use the cap space. And I mentioned this earlier on three positions outside well two positions but three players outside linebacker i think he's going to sign two i really do feel strongly about that and right tackle i think he's going to look at it like i said like a mad fill your holes and do the best you can with these big deals and what that's going to do like i mentioned earlier it's going to cancel out that compensatory pick they would have got for Collins. that i know um but yeah i think that money personally is going to go to outside linebacker and the and the right tackle position um and then obviously right guard as well remember jamon brown's not under contract um Andrew asks us, if the Giants do trade 37 for Rosen, you've stated they should trade back from six. Is there any player who could fall to six that would convince you to stay at six and make the pick? Um, yeah. 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 I mean, not, not for like, yeah, yeah. But like, um, if it depends on how many teams drop, you know, move into one and two to get a quarterback, right? If they have it. So to, if you, if you have a, I mean, this isn't going to happen, but if you think about like Quentin Williams, which is insane, but it may be, right? Or if you look at, I mean, if you value, but Bose is not going to fall that far. It's just, it's not, it's not the way it's going to work. But I think something like that, Williams would, would absolutely make me stay or whoever you're, you're going to have at the fourth and fifth at that point from the defensive line, line standpoint, if that's Ed Oliver or whoever that is, yeah, you know, you could absolutely get that type of chance to, to get a really good player at six. So I think, Nick, for the most part, a lot of the guys are, that you could get at six, you might be able to get on ten, at 10, depending on he, how teams value these certain guys because they're so close. I mean, to me, there's definitely scenarios where between six and 10, or let's say they trade back the third team in Miami, between six and 13, there will be guys like DJ Metcalf coming up the board to some team that just you know can't help themselves. And players like that, you know, I can totally see that being the case. 
So I think for for the most part, I'm fine with. That's why I like the idea of trading back. But I'll throw three guys out there who I might who I might not trade back for if I'm, if they're sitting there at six. Quinn and Williams, who you mentioned, who you know might just be there because he's an interior guy, and interior guys don't get valued as highly. But he's unblockable. Uh, Josh Allen, who I've been big on the entire draft process, and don't see myself changing. Uh, seen enough of him live to know that he'll be a game changer. At least that's my what I'm banking on. And then lastly, like you said, Bosa, who obviously I don't think is going to drop the six either. But you know, to answer his question, those are the guys who would make me think twice. Um, we got another Andrew who asks, "Have you guys seen any of Ben Perkervin, Washington? Do you think he'll be available in rounds two through four? He doesn't exactly fit Gettleman's mold. He's only six foot tall. But what do you guys think of his abilities in coverage uh, and safety play, or sideline to sideline play?" I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've not seen him. I haven't got a chance to, to take a look at him. I mean, the Washington secondary historically, they, they pumped out some awesome guys. So, you know, you're getting kind of like defensive back you. So that kind of fits in there. And I, now I'm, the, my memory is being jogged a little bit. I think he's supposed to be a, is he supposed to be chancellor like, and that's why Seattle likes him. I can't remember. Yeah. He's, 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 well, Seattle likes him because he's a spark freak. He's, he's, I think he ran a four, I'm trying to remember now. I had just had it up. I think he ran a four five four, and and he just tested, and he had the, the the best three cone time of any linebacker at the combine. So he was a freakish freak or four five six. He ran with a six eight five three cone, which is insane at two hundred thirty pounds. <laughs> it's like crazy. <laughs> that three cone is insane. Um, yeah. So for that type of freak, um, yeah, I I think I, I. But again, I can't comment to his abilities of coverage, and I don't know. I, I I've not seen him. I've actually haven't heard his name a ton for for projection standpoint, okay. but I haven't done a ton outside of seniors. So yeah, but. man, he's considered more of kind of a day three prospect. At least he was going into the combine, and that's kind of why you know I don't really change my opinion of him just yet because they they expected him to test out as an athletic freak, and obviously he was even more freakish than people thought. But that's not enough for me right now to boost him into like my radar yet. But as far as answering his question goes. Um, I think he kind of about, I think uh, Andrew kind of broke it down best himself. Like if he doesn't exactly fit Gettleman's mold, I'm not sure he'll be somebody they're, they're, they're targeting just because uh, you know, the things he accomplished at the combine and whatnot. Though I will say this, a lot of the people who I cover uh, follow on Twitter who are big, who, who covered uh, the PAC 12 were big fans of his production too at Washington. So definitely someone to at least keep an eye on. Um, Andrew also asks who's got a better long-term future, the giants or the Mets. Um, I'm going to jump in real quick with a fun answer. I can just say the giants for me, it'll, uh, when this question's asked me about any NFL team versus any MLB team, my answer will always be the NFL team. Um, it's so much easier to turn things around in my opinion in the NFL than it is the MLB or the NBA for that matter, or any league without a salary cap. Um, you don't have that cap. And obviously the Mets are spending a little more this off season. Not in the dra- not in the ways I would like them to spend, <laughs> um, and 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 I, obviously as Andrew knows, I'm a Mets fan as well. But you know, I'll always go with the NFL team there. Do you have anything to add there, Nick? No, I think you think you buttoned that one up pretty. Yeah, good. I think it's right up your alley. Anyway, um, <laughs> Rob asks. Most people see, don't seem to care at this point about um, how to, but how, about how about Kyle Oletta and being a viable contender for the starting job at some point. What facts have we gotten to draw the conclusion that he's has no chance of being the starter? I mean, not much other than the evidence that they haven't played him. And you, you and I are both like higher on him in terms of, you know, having a shot. And we understand it's a shot coming from where he was coming from. And, you know, it's 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 something that, you know, really wasn't given a great shot on the field. And maybe there's more behind that or, you know, whatever whatever the position may be. Maybe I, I genuinely think at this point that they're hoping that he develops into a into their backup. Um, 
we haven't talked about this in the podcast, but I was kind of shocked that they signed Tanny. Other than I guess the fact that it, it's a familiar face in camp, and you can always cut a guy at that point. But I just I don't I don't understand the dynamic here, and it, it doesn't really make any sense to me. And we don't have a lot of facts, um, and it's just one of those things where we kind of are going to have to judge from their actions, not from what we're actually seeing. Just to touch on the Tanny signing real quick, Nick, I think we got to wait a little on that for the financial details. They had a d- similar deal a couple off seasons ago, or a couple around this time, a few off seasons ago with Josh Johnson. Two-year deal was announced as, but with no guaranteed money, he was released at the end of training camp, or with yeah. very little guaranteed money. So I actually think that's probably what this Tanny deal is. Most, I think he's going to be a camp body. Um, but uh, as far as the letter goes, the only evidence I would say that we do have, Rob, is that first of all, he was a fourth-round pick. So the Giants did not use a second. They did not use either of their thirds. And when they drafted him, they called it a value they couldn't you know, pass down. Uh, that doesn't sound to me like a player they're completely sold on, just a player who they think they're getting good value on. And then the other thing I would say is at the Combine, Gettleman made a really interesting comment when he said, I want to, you know, what are you looking for in a quarterback? And he said, looking for a quarterback who you don't have to wake, uh, go to sleep every night worrying if he's going to show up to work on time. And that, you know, may have not been about Kyle Aletta, but at the same time, Kyle Aletta did not show up on work on time one day during the Giants past season when he got that ticket, uh, when he was rushing to work, um, when he got that driving ticket or whatever that was. Whatever he did with the cops, evaded traffic. Um, so I thought that comment was a little interesting from Gettleman. I will say that. Um, moving on, though, Client9 asks, guys, if it's true that DG doesn't value the safety position, just like Reese didn't value linebacker, can you speak to the positions that DG does value and make some of their uh, and make some sense of their positional value system? Uh, I mean, outside of the line – Right. I mean, we know he values the line, right? Yep. And we know he values the tackle position. Um, you know, outside of that, I think, I guess he spent the, he spent the second overall pick on a running back, but he did not provide a viable RB three really at any point in the season. So I don't know that he values the running back position, uh, you know, on the tight end side, like I got the same. I really don't know. I don't, I don't see it as strong. Um, you know, I know Simonson played yeah, at times played well this season, but I was surprised at that signing um, to, to bring him back for another year. And I, if they keep Ellison on at, this, at the current pay pay level, I'll be surprised there too. So I, I don't, I, I honestly can't outside of the fact that he likes bulky, he likes big linemen. You know, he likes big linemen. You know, he likes, and you know, he's willing to say that he's wrong on linemen. And you know, he's willing to say that he likes versatile linemen too, because that's what I would call Jamon Brown. Um, but outside of that, I, I really don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we also know that he has a has a kind of a revamped view of how he wants to build a linebacker position with a lot of hybrid type players there, um, and speed and athleticism at the second level. Uh, and I do think that that you know factors in also because of the defensive scheme that he has going right now with James Batcher um, and what they're trying to do there. But you know, I think we got to take one more off season before we can really dive more into that. We need to see what he does this off season, where he uses his cap money that he's freeing up and where he uses his draft capital. And then I think we'll get a much better idea, especially because they have so many day three picks. I think that's where we can, you know, really learn about where he wants to add depth because he spent his whole entire first offseason using his using the depth spots on his roster to fix the special team. And, you know, for all the bad the Giants did uh, last year, they did improve their special teams. It went from number 32 ranked, according to DVOA by Football Outsiders, to number three in just one season. So something has to be said about that. But like I said, I think we'll, we'll, we'll learn more after his second offseason. Um, Art asks, if the Chiefs franchise D Ford, what do you think the odds are that a trade happens for Olivier Vernon? 
Player swap seems to work better for each team's scheme, and Giants are absorbing some of Ovi's cap hit. It seems that both teams could negotiate contracts to help out their caps. The, the scheme, the scheme fit would definitely help both. Um, I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've gotten pitched a lot better like Twitter trades in the past like five days than I've seen any like any actual trade go through in the NFL. You know, like a lot of these trades are great ideas, but they happen in other in other they happen in like the NHL, they happen in the MLB. It's just a much more liquid market for the for the for the for the player to player trades, which is which is just too bad effectively. Um, so I, I think that the although the idea is certainly sound, um, I think that the the odds are low. And the other side of it too is um, you got to look at Ov's contract is the biggest the biggest issue to this right off the bat, right? Yeah, that I mean, here's the deal. I don't think a trade's going to happen at all because of the fact that Ov's contract doesn't just end after this season, right, Nick? I mean, we're talking about a situation where whoever trades for him in a hypothetical situation where a trade might go through would have to take on his contract for the 2020 season. Um, and they, you know, then the dead cap goes to them if they want to release him next offseason. The dead cap for 2019 is going to go to the Giants no matter what, even if they trade him. But that's not the case for 2020. So I think that factors. And I also think the Chiefs are looking to reallocate that money away from, you know, a guy like Houston, uh, or I'm sorry, a guy like Ford, let's say, or Houston on the defensive line and toward different positions. They might be in the market for Landon Collins. I think they will be. Um, and they also have salary cap issues of their own, by the way, after, you know, extending assigning Sammy Watkins to such a large deal last offseason. So I don't see that happening personally, uh, but you never know. Client nine asks us, um, guys, I get the get get the feeling Gettleman will be going for a defensive stud at number six, which is two years in a row with the top six pick not spent at QB. Is there an actual plan in this organization post Eli or does Eli or does Dave Gettleman surprise me and trade up? Or is he going to just take another project like Tyree Jackson? Um, I the only thing, maybe maybe we're just missing the plan because it's a lot longer term than what we're used to in the current NFL cycle, right? Of front offices and coaches, which is really really short. So maybe because of the Giants organization, Gettleman knows that he has a three to five year window to do this in. Which again, I don't think really any general manager has that type of uh, has that type of um, of leeway. I don't think that includes Pat Shermer, by the way. So I don't think he's thinking like that at all. Um, I, I don't know what the plan is. I think the plan has been, you know, now at this point drawn out to the point where it's really hard to tell what is what. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that the, the idea that he would take a stud defensive guy at six makes a lot of sense, but I think that he won't do that unless if he has the core position solidified first. Yeah, and I think one thing I will add is that ultimately I do believe Dave Gettleman will make the decision. You made an interesting point there regarding Pat Shermer, and I won't reveal who because uh, it was spoken to me off the record, but I did have a conversation during an interview once with a former NFL head coach who was in the league just a few years ago, and we talked about the major decision that the franchise he was coaching made to draft a quarterback in the first round. And what I found most interesting was that the quarterback they selected, he didn't want. He didn't have him rated even in his top two. He, the quarterback who he wanted and who he rated number one overall did not jive with the general manager. And go figure, the player that they selected was who the general manager wanted. So I agree with you regarding Pat Shermer versus Gettleman in that standpoint. But as far as the quarterback plan goes, Client 9, I think that we have to wait this one out because I actually think that you're getting the feeling Gettleman will be will be going for a stud at six. I'm getting the feeling Gettleman's going to make a trade of bad value to move up and select Dwayne Haskins. That's where I that's where I would predict if I had if a gun to my head, I had to make a prediction right now. Um, T Fed asks us, 
If they draft Haskins, fine. Keep Eli as $23 million mentor. But if they trade for Rosen, he must start day one. They only have four years of Rosen's rookie deal left. Thoughts? Uh, I don't know if he has to start um, right off the bat. Uh, the only – but maybe I'm wrong there. I don't know. I, just, I haven't really played that out in my mind. The only thing that I'm just thinking with a lot of – the only reason why you want – is there any reason why – I don't know this answer. Is there any reason why you want, why you want him to play four years instead of three? Right. Other than the fact that you get you get the player on the field. Like, am I missing something there? Yeah. I mean, we we disagree here. I think what what you might be missing, Nick, is that you're losing another year of that rookie deal. So you're getting closer to the point where you then have to pay him a huge salary against the cap and you can no longer. And really, the best way to win the NFL is that window of the rookie deal. Right. So, but no, I get that. But but if I don't think he has to start day one because you still have the payment option, even with I guess what they're saying is they want to cut Manning to, to, to free up that capital. I get that. The only thing that I'm just thinking about that some people don't realize, and I want to actually check the math on this, it, the, the, from a salary perspective, there's obviously a difference between quarterback and defensive end, right? But either way, the, the delta is a lot smaller than it is from a quarterback to the rest of the team. So what I'm saying is, although you need to, you want to have a franchise quarterback, you're at some point going to have to pay that franchise quarterback. So what if you had a, a defensive ends on rookie deals that would that were of higher priority? Like you could look, you could. There's other ways to splice it. So I don't look at that. That it would have to be a must start on day one for a guy that they trade for for if they do trade for Rosen, um, just just because you would lose only one deal. Because I think it were one year of the deal. Because I think if you're going to trade for a guy like that. I think you're going to want to lock him up after that rookie deal. Like you're making that type of projection. Yeah, you're definitely making that type of projection, Nick, but really I don't think it comes down to that. At least not for me. For me, it comes down to you want to maximize the amount of years where you have a quarterback on his rookie deal. And of course that would also come with me. It wouldn't mean I want them to keep Manning and bench him. If they're going to keep Manning, no matter what, obviously then we can talk about it. It's a different story. But once you made that trade, I thought, I, I think Eli should immediately be released. Um, even though it would mean if the Giants don't trade for Rosen before March 17th, they're guaranteeing at least another $5 million against the cap to Eli Manning because his roster bonus is due on March 17th. So ideally, that would be one reason to go against your plan earlier of waiting um, right. and, and kind of like beating the trade market on Rosen. But at the same time, even if they don't, even if they don't get it done before then and they play the market out and get a better trade value in return for uh, I mean, in the Rosen trade, I still think they should eat the rest of Eli Manning's uh, salary by a dead cap by releasing him. Yes, it would mean $11 million of dead cap, but it would also mean another $12 million to spend to help the roster elsewhere. And the big deal with Rosen for me coming out and why I was so high on him was that I thought he was ready to play from day one. Obviously, it didn't look that way behind Arizona's pathetic offensive line, ranked by, as I said, 32 injuries across the board, all five starters. No, no, in my opinion, no wide receiver on the outside who could separate. Obviously, they had Larry Fitzgerald, big name, plays the slot, didn't separate that well last year, went through two offensive coordinators in one year. Um, but again, if you're trading for Rosen, I'm starting him day one. And honestly, Nick, for me, I think if I if I were the Giants and I drafted Haskins, I would also be releasing Eli. I think what the Jets did last year, what the Bills did last year, you know, uh, even what the Cardinals did to some extent, not really though, because they did pay Bradford, um, even though they released him midseason, is is the right way to go about it. Throw him right in, get maximize the amount of deal years you can get on that rookie contract, but also more importantly, you know, maximize the amount of reps you can get that quarterback with his supporting cast, um, Saquon Barkley under contract. You know, Odell Beckham under contract, Ingram under contract for at least another three, uh, uh, two years after this one. Or no, sorry, three years starting now. So to me, that's what I would do. But I can I can see your point of view as well on that. 
I can also see too that they can make the decision and then Eli retires. Yeah, that agreed. I can see that too for sure. Actually, that's an interesting point. Would Eli, you know, they taught that's that's not a bad call. I like that. And I, I'm not saying that's what they're trying to do, but no, it's no, like, no. And it's almost like if that happens, then they're kind of in a really weird situation. Yeah, they, they are. They don't have really a backup that you want for a rookie, or and and they kind of have to deal with it because I just think that if you're going to make this team more and more volatile. For a guy in his last year, whose dad's already said that he wants a winning year, if you're not you're not projecting that for that for for the next twelve months, basically. We'll see. Um, moving on for our last question of the day, Black Mountain asks: Now that the Giants won't allocate the eleven mil to Landon, can you see them bringing back Jamon Brown and signing Daryl Williams? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely for both. I think they're gonna they're 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 bidding for Daryl Williams. I mistakenly got got bid on Twitter. Um, retweeting a fake tweet that Daryl Williams was given the uh, the franchise tag yesterday, which is pretty embarrassing. But yeah, no, I think they're absolutely going to go after him and they could definitely get both. No doubt. I agree with you 100% on that. And I think that this was, this was the reason um, I'm sorry that, that it happened uh, because, because I'm sorry, it's my bad there. I think that the reason they let, uh, let Landon Collins hit the open market is because they have bigger ideas for the allocation of the cap space that would go, that would go to him. Makes sense. Checks out. Yep. Um, all right, guys. That's all we have for today on this show. We're obviously going to be doing a lot more of these now that the offseason's finally kicked into full gear. You can definitely expect one next week around the start of free agency, uh, maybe recapping day one, maybe a preview. We'll see when we get there. Once again, I appreciate everybody who listens in, everybody who interacts with us on Twitter and says and has all the nice things that they do have to say about the podcast. But especially I appreciate those who subscribe and download on iTunes. Believe it or not, it makes a massive difference for us in growing this podcast and trying to get it, you know, to a bigger stage for you guys so we can do it more often so we can get more great contact out there. We're planning to do some interesting interviews as well this off season. So look forward to that. Um, and as usual, please uh, do us a favor and also rate and subscribe us on, on iTunes. That will help us a lot. But, but Nick, uh, where can we find the rest of your work um, in the meantime before next podcast? Uh, before next podcast, definitely probably just on Twitter to uh, handle team manic 21. I also contribute over at Inside the Pylon and Cover One Darknet. Awesome. Uh, and you guys can find my work on 247sports.com backslash New York Giants or CBS Sports app. Um, and obviously on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. Uh, P- apologize for some of the technical difficulties today. We'll definitely do better th- next time, but we do. We are happy we got a chance to recap the combine and preview what's to come next. On that note, as usual, I like how I like to end these ones. Go Giants. Driving through the misty rain, it's searching for.